0: you thanks so much for listening to the show this podcast is sponsored by made to move physical therapy and we believe that movement is medicine if you have been dealing with pain that's preventing you from doing what you love and if you're looking for a healthcare provider to help you meet your goals then go to made to move contact us that two is the number two Fill out the form and reference the Healthy Charleston podcast. Listeners get 10% off their first session. Welcome back, everyone, to the Healthy Charleston podcast. This is your host, Hannah. And on today's episode, we are talking all about ACL injuries with our ACL Performance Lab specialist, Laura Sapper. So, Laura shares her story and her background with us, and then we drive straight into the hard hitting questions like why are there so many ACL tears? Why is re tear rate so high? Why is the system, how is the system failing ACLers, and what does quality ACL rehab actually look like? The main overarching theme is that we should be focusing on the athlete with the ACL tear, not just the ACL tear, and that this process is way more individualized than what you know traditional timelines, traditional rehab insurance reimbursement allows for, and a lot of this is taking ownership as a rehab professional as a whole that we can do better that we can provide better care for these athletes and that's exactly the goal of the acl performance lab designed specifically for the acl athlete the acl performance lab is located in mount pleasant in a clinic with all of the tools all of the weights all of the space all of the equipment needed for a safe and a strong and confident return to sport laura works one-on-one with each client Whether you just had ACL surgery and you need an all-in plan to return to sport, whether you're hoping to prepare pre-surgery or if you're choosing to go the non-operative route, or if you're looking to supplement your current PT or bridge the gap between insurance cutting you off and insurance running out, and those few months, very, very important months where you return to sport, we will create a specific plan for you and your goals. You can find more info about our ACL Performance Lab in the show notes. Otherwise, get ready to learn a lot about ACLs. Enjoy the show. All right, everyone. Today, we are talking all about ACLs. ACL injuries, ACL tears, ACL rehab, and all of the intricacies of the ACLer, which ACLer is the, definitely the politically correct term for person who has torn their ACL. Joining me is Laura Sapper, certified athletic trainer, orthopedic technologist, and sports Metrics specialist. I said it right. Welcome, Laura. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Excited to learn more about ACLs and more about what you're doing now. So can we start with a little bit of background? Where are you now? How did you get there? Why ACLs? Just tell me your life story. Okay. It all started. It all started.
1: Like a lot of uh, rehab professionals, I developed a passion for sports medicine back in high school. Uh, you know, Being an athlete, being a high school athlete, having injuries, I kind of became passionate about getting getting back to sport and what that took. Um, I thought I wanted to go to physical therapy school, so I ended up shadowing a PT that was at my high school and split my time between her and an athletic trainer. And it was there that all my passions sort of married one another in athletic training. Um, and I sort of stepped away from the PT side of things. Um, athletics the fun, young, active population, the fast pace of like emergency response and emergency medicine, and then of course the rehab and manual therapy. So all of that combined sort of brought me to athletic training and and why I really grew a passion for it. Uh, When I went to college, I finished my degree and I became an athletic trainer and an EMT Oh, um, I did yeah. not know that. Yep. Okay. I, I worked as a volunteer EMT um, in Maine for a well while. Is that out.
0: why your CPR, like, you can teach CPR classes?
1: Well, I, yeah, I got trained in CPR okay. too. But okay. That's one we'll get of the reasons. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, started working in sort of the traditional athletic training session uh, setting. At college and then at a high school level, and I was at the high school for seven years, essentially being the sole uh, healthcare provider for mm-hmm. a, a school that had about nine hundred kids. Is that here? Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, in Charleston. Okay. At well, Porter, yeah, what school was that? Porter Gowd okay. School. Um. So they didn't even have a nurse till 2016. So I was essentially it. You had uh, to do everything. Everything. I mean, you were like. Wait, were you, like,
0: the person that if someone had a headache or stomachache, they came to you? Yeah, so
1: the third graders, you know. You were Mama like, Laura to <laughs> everyone. <laughs> yes, yes. Thankfully, thankfully, uh, I think for a few years, the receptionist in the elementary school was a retired nurse. So oh, she dealt with at least <laughs> the little ones, and I, I dealt with middle, middle school and high school mostly. Um, but after, you know, seven years there, I decided to leave and pursue... You know, academic interests, and um, I just really wanted to learn more. I didn't think that I was um, getting better uh, working 80 hours a week, and Oof. Yeah. it was tough. So I went into orthopedic practice, worked alongside orthopedic surgeons and PAs, um, essentially evaluating patients, ordering x-rays, testing, and uh, ultimately getting people set up for surgery, and going through the process what to expect recovery rehabilitation giving them exercises before they started formal physical therapy um and it was really there that i learned my specific passion for the aclers because it's just such a devastating injury usually happens in that young active population that i have always been passionate about Um, and there's just so much missing for that population they um you know, I learned that there's a lot of care that they have to do on their own or have had to do on their own. And the retail rate is so, so high that it just feels like there's got to be a better way. And so fast forward to now, uh, I am now at Mate to Move's ACL Performance Lab, which we've just started. And uh, our goal is to really raise the standard of ACL care and return to sport and lower retail rates and also prevent those ACL injuries from happening in the first place. So,
0: so just really attacking specifically ACL injuries.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: So you, you started like trying to decide between PT, athletic training, you ultimately chose athletic training because it felt like you could actually do more. Like there was more athletic populations, you were on the field. You were more involved in before the injury, the actual injury, and, you know, after the injury.
1: Exactly. I felt, at least in athletic training, that you could really see someone through, you know, the whole lifetime of not only just their injury, but their growth, you know, uh, especially in the traditional setting in high school. I got to see some of these kids from the time they were in fifth grade to graduating high school, So that was really important for me. And with ACLers, it's just such a long process that I do get that um, same feeling of being able to work with an athlete, not just on their injury, but Mm -hmm. throughout the psychological aspects of injury as well as you know growth and, and personal and personal growth and strength, physical growth <laughs> <laughs> as you actually grow yeah yeah, yeah
0: it's cool because you have this nice blend of like working as what you think of as a typical athletic trainer like work I mean and a nurse apparently working in the school <laughs> with the athletes themselves and then you also have the experience in the surgery side seeing what they really go through and helping now your aclers like know the options about graphs know what surgery feels like this versus feels like this. Like, you know now how to help them know what to expect and, and ultimately like how that will affect their whole journey with their ACL injury.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's different paths you can go down with an ACL tear. Um, Even, even broken down. If you choose to have surgery, there's lots of different options and, each surgeon is going to have their own way that they like to do it, and there's not necessarily a wrong or a right way, but there's just a lot of pros and cons to each, and it's hard to it's hard to speak to a surgeon and know you're getting an unbiased opinion if they have a preference. Um, so really, it's important to do your research about what's important to you and. Um, know what you want before you maybe pick a surgeon or get a second opinion.
0: Yeah, I mean there's pros and cons to all of them, I'm sure. And like, you probably don't want your surgeon doing something that they're not comfortable with.
1: Correct. You know, I think that the surgeon should do their preference but maybe you need a different doctor or maybe you need to take a step back and do some things before you have surgery to make sure you are going to have the best possible outcome. So you have seen... Like the growth of,
0: like the increase of ACL injuries, I wanna say in this country, I'm sure it's everywhere else, but also maybe in this country. Like Mm -hmm. it feels like, you know, back pain has gotten a lot of press, back pain is huge around here, and somehow now ACL injuries are extremely common. Like I think I was talking to one high school who had nine this season. Like, it's crazy. How did we, how has this become such a big deal?
1: Well, I think that a lot of younger athletes are starting to specialize earlier and overtrain. Um, so that's w- one issue. Um, whether you are of the opinion that it is an issue or not is a different conversation. <laughs> um, more females are participating in sports mm-hmm. and um, more you know, more often, Um, there's also a decrease in the amount of, uh, physical education that's happening in schools. Um, so I, I think that's a huge contributing factor to the number of ACL tears. Um, and you know, there's not been a big focus in kind of accessory, Uh, Work in sports. So a lot of times coaches just want to practice Mm -hmm. the sport and they don't want to take the time For plyometrics for landing training jump training strength and conditioning So I think the combination of athletes specializing early not being prepared for the motions of their sports by just playing them um, And then they're not strength training So we're playing More people are playing
0: more than ever, but we're not preparing up to that standard. Correct. So that leaves us in this world where we literally had to create a separate ACL program just focused on, hey, only ACLs are going to be seen here by me.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is a huge issue, and it's also a problem that lasts a long time. When you tear your ACL, all the studies are showing that Return to sport should not happen prior to nine to twelve months. Um, back when I started my career, five to six months was a totally reasonable time frame to return to sport. But then we saw the retear rates—you know, twenty, twenty-five, and sometimes thirty percent—and that's either on the same side they retear that side, or they tear the opposite side because there's a lot of detraining that happens between injury and return to sport on both sides, not just the one you tear. And clearly, if you're, you have some predisposing factors to ACL tears, your other ones can be at risk too. So it's just a really long process, and current protocols, current rehab facilities, and insurance has not caught up with that timeline so it does take a long time, and it's a it's a population that's just really underserved. Um, well, because it's a huge population now too. Yeah, uh, uh, they say it's between one hundred and two hundred ACL tears in the United States every year, and the peak age is seventeen. That's actually not as one hundred to two hundred in
0: the U.S. Thousand. Oh. I- I was like, wait a minute, there's no I was like, Well that that's all in Charleston. Like what you do hundred thousand to two
1: hundred thousand. Okay, that is a ton.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I wonder like what the what it was ten years ago, fifteen years ago, because now like I mean youth athletes, youth athletics are pretty big in Charleston. Like if you're not playing high school soccer, you're playing club soccer. And it's just year round these yeah. days. Or like you know, they're playing Maybe they're playing multiple sports, like we hope so. But like you said, kids are, are specializing very early. And I think a lot of that is like they want to pursue a college scholarship. They love this sport. They only want to play this sport. But I think like we're, we're missing the forest for the trees when we say that to get better at the sport, we just have to play this sport. That's like a runner doesn't want, probably doesn't want to do single leg strengthening But to be a better runner, they know they need to do single leg strengthening. Like, now we know to create better and more durable, resilient athletes, just humans, you know, youth athletes in general, we can't just have them always playing their sport.
1: Yeah, and I feel like we've learned this more and more. It's become more clear. And yet... People are still having their kids special, allowing their kids mm-hmm. to specialize earlier, push pushing their kids to specialize and not cross train um, because the competition is so much higher, mm. and so there there's more people for less spots. You know, Even and just to
0: get into a high school these days, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just to make the high school team. Yeah, that's true. So then once you get there, I think <clears throat> the first thought is, well, you better just get better, and by back- playing the sport you'll get better yep so it sounds like there's you know it's obviously multifactorial there's a problem of the you know, what leads to someone getting an ACL tear and then the care for them after yep and unfortunately it sounds like it's a, a cycle
1: yeah it's a pretty bad cycle and we we do fail our our young female athletes especially you know they're At least three times more likely to tear their ACL, Um, and the reasons that they do are are kind of frustrating because, you know, studies show that it's lack of muscle conditioning, neuromuscular control, and strength, all of which can Mm -hmm. be trained. So none of it is like the big ones aren't like Q angle, the way that you know
0: our femurs are made. It's more of like a lot of things are in our control. Yeah,
1: I mean, there's there's definitely varying opinions but there's no one reason and yeah. yes some of the structural things factor in but i think i think the biggest thing is neuromuscular control strength and that quad to hamstring ratio um, tends to be lower in well a lower hamstring quad ratio in females than than male athletes and those are all things that can be trained to reduce the risk
0: yeah, like if the discrepancy discrepancy between females and males is because of lack of training, like that's easily. So I mean, you know, easier said than done. But like, you know, men are in the weight room at a pretty young age, but yeah. but we aren't. You know,
1: there's at least an easy intervention that can yeah. be started early on. Um, you know, we can't necessarily fix hypermobility, and we can't necessarily fixed Q angle and all those other things, but if if the big hitters mm. are things that we can affect, then why aren't we doing that from a young age?
0: Yeah, I mean, if we could solve that today, that would be great. But <laughs> So, we talked a little bit before about how you went from high school to the ortho world and now kind of out on your own. What was the process like in you know, figuring out that you really wanted to focus on ACLs and then Feeling like you had the experience and the education to really focus on ACLs and like deciding, you know, becoming a specialist.
1: What was that like? Man, that's a big <laughs> question. <laughs> well, you know, I went through a lot of growing pains in the athletic training profession. There are a lot of roadblocks to uh, growth for athletic trainers. And trying to find where my niche was took me at least the last five, maybe 10 years. And I always knew that I was passionate about, you know, orthopedic, surgeon, orthopedic surgery, um, and then, you know, the athlete mentality like we had talked about, like we've been talking about. but just figuring out who, it, who is the kind of patient that brings me the most fulfillment. And I just kept coming back to all of my ACL patients when I was working in the high school and the college settings. Those were the ones that trusted me the most because I had the most time to work Mm -hmm. with them. And I was able to kind of see them through. I sat in on their surgeries so I knew exactly what was happening. Um, I was there post-op day one, you know, starting their rehab getting their swelling down, getting that full extension, and then all the way through to when they'd returned to sport and you know and then ultimately moved on to college or finished playing. And so that really filled my cup and so in in my time reflecting, I decided that I wanted to work with, with these athletes specifically. And it was just as as I started to learn more and more about the best practices for ACL return to play and rehab and surgery and all of it. That's okay. Edit. <laughs> I learned that there was just so, so much room for improvement. And, you know, insurance is maxing out these, these athletes' benefits at four, maybe five months if they're lucky. And even the therapy that they're doing, if they're in a facility that doesn't have the ability to properly load them, then I don't want to say they're wasting their time, but they're not setting themselves up for success if then they have to do the last four months, five months, six months of rehab on their own or Mm -hmm. with their high school athletic trainer who doesn't necessarily have the time to dedicate to it then we're just becoming that statistic again of 20 to 25% retear. So one fourth, one in four of all ACL
0: surgeries, repairs, retear.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's, you know, between one and four and one in five have mm-hmm. a re-injury either of that side or the other side. Yeah,
0: And I think the fact that it can be the other side says so much more about like the athlete Themselves rather than just, like, the graft. It's more of, like, this athlete was not prepared to return to sport, not necessarily the graft. Because on the contralateral side, which for those of you listening who don't know what that means, the opposite side. Um, I remember learning that in school. I was like, what the heck are we saying?
1: Well, ipsilateral sounds even crazier.
0: So (laughs) they tear their left knee ACL, and they get surgery, and then, you know, they return to sport, and their right knee tears. And it's like, they're just so deconditioned. They haven't been doing anything for months. They haven't been playing and practicing the way that they're used to. Yeah.
1: Everyone always says, oh, it's such bad luck. And, you know, it's it's really not, you know. They've been sort of failed by the system because everyone's so focused on, oh, well, we need that graft to heal down. And, yes, there are... These, you know, healing principles and healing guidelines for graft acceptance and revascularization and all these words. Mm -hmm. But we're not preparing these athletes for the movements that their sport requires. Cutting, turning, twisting sports. You know, you're putting this, you need strength and you need to be prepared for those motions. And then if you take someone who hasn't been doing those motions for four, five, six, seven, eight, nine months
0: and you just throw, them, and you
1: throw them back in and on top of that they're scared and not psychologically prepared, you know, we're just really setting them up for failure.
0: I remember, I'm sure you do too, like 2020 when there were no, there wasn't a lot of practice and then football season started but they had not really, like, practiced in full pads yet. Like, it happened with high schools. It happened with NFL teams. There were, all of a sudden, like, so many more injuries.
1: I was very glad that I wasn't an athletic trainer in the traditional sense in 2020 yeah. <laughs> for a number of reasons. But it must have been so hard to, prioritize, to figure out what to prioritize when you only have such a limited time to get back to sport. And... That's, again, that's, like, taking someone who hasn't done what they're used to doing and throwing them into something they're not prepared for. They're going to get injured.
0: So it seems like traditional, maybe traditional ACL care is only just focused on, like, that knee and that graft.
1: Yeah, I mean, they only have so much time with them. So, again, they're prioritizing what they can. um, And it's also... They're only working with them in a finite period of time where the rubber meets the road is past that four and five month mark. And that's when these athletes aren't having the oversight of, of someone who knows what they're doing, helping guide them and be a resource to them. Um, and then if early on, if they're not meeting their goals and they're not being loaded and they don't have full range of motion... Then it's going to make those last, again, four, five, six, seven months so much harder.
0: So we don't have the time already to focus on the whole athlete, not just the graft. And then we're sending them out the door way too early to then, quote unquote, do this on your own. When they're not even, they don't even have anything to base that off of because they probably haven't even gotten to a lot of the milestones that they should be achieving if they're you know being kicked out the door at four to five months.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a poorly oiled machine.
0: Is it oiled?
1: <laughs> Why?
0: I, I mean, like I'm obviously leading in here, but like, what is the cause of that? Because I I very much choose to believe that every PT, every ATC is doing the best they can.
1: Why is doing the best that they can not enough? The timeline. The facility does not have the equipment to properly load them. Their timeline as far as, you know, the four to five month mark or sometimes earlier the amount of visits that their insurance will pay for does not allow them to properly, you know, treat them and get them back to what they were doing before. And insurance doesn't see the value in return to jumping and return to sport. They can only you know, pay for and justify return to activities of daily living. And that is not what these athletes are trying to get back to. It doesn't take that long for them to get back to sitting on the toilet and being able to, you know, um, jog or being able to go up and down stairs. Those things aren't the ultimate goal, and that's not what an ACL tear really is limiting them by it's those cutting turning twisting motions and movements um, Mm -hmm. plyometrics and things that they absolutely need for their sport that they're not getting the training in and yes athletic trainers who obviously I greatly appreciate and have a lot of respect for they absolutely can and do have the ability to do that once they are discharged from formal physical therapy and go back to their teams if that's if they have the luxury of having one but they're also working with four, five, six hundred athletes mm. and uh, there's usually only one of them mm. so they also don't have the ability to give them, dedicate the time and the resources um, to an ACL or the, that they really need um, so, that's where I sort of saw the huge gap in in this, you know, at least in this location where we are in Charleston, of we need to take these ACLers and give them the resources, give them the time to dedicate to getting them back to what they want to do.
0: So, like, it sounds like the way that we were solving the problem wasn't actually a solution. like. Okay, well then you're just going to go and train with your athletic trainer, but your athletic trainer is working eighty hours a week, already serving you know all of the athletes at that school. When these ACLers still need very specialized one-on-one regular care,
1: yeah, or it's the summer and mm-hmm. no one's there, you know, especially with the timelines of return to sport. Let's say you play football and you tear in September, and you're trying to get back for August. Well, what are you doing in those last few months of rehab on your own? When school's out and you're not practicing, you don't have practice, you don't have your coach there. PT's discharged you. You fall Yeah. You follow a workout program you saw online. You,
0: you know? try to work out with your team and you, you don't really know what, what you specifically need to be doing. Exactly.
1: So a lot of these athletes are just lost. Yeah.
0: Overwhelmed, lost, afraid, unprepared, you know, that's not how you want to feel
1: going back into your sport. Yeah. And most retailers I I we need to quote quote it, but I believe that most retailers happen within the first month of return to sport mm. when they when they go back before they're mm-hmm.
0: ready. Yeah. And isn't it like the, the retail rate decreases by 50% for every month after 6?
1: Every month after 6 until 9 months.
0: Yeah. So, like, the difference between 6 and 9 is huge. Yes. Um, in terms of, like, what you were mentioning earlier with what we call activities of daily living, I've had patients who are frustrated because, you know, according to this surgery, different surgery, but according to the surgery, according to the surgeon, they should be back doing their activities of daily living and they are but their activities of daily living are very different than than most people like how do we define activities of daily living i would argue that they're different for everyone for this athlete like playing football every day is an activity of daily living but that's not what's included in the bucket term of adls it's sitting on the toilet going up the stairs washing yourself dressing yourself like all of those things are very very valuable but that's not what got this person injured You know, I mean, I, God, hope not. Like, so now we're just saying like, oh, well, you're good to go back to living at like 30% the way that you were before. But those things actually weren't the problem to begin with.
1: Yeah. And I'm, I think that there's a huge value in traditional physical therapy, getting people back to doing those things even people that do ultimately want to get back to playing sports and higher you know higher functional activities but someone has to be there for those athletes and for those people when they have met those goals because going it on your own at least for most things is usually not that successful if you don't have proper guidance proper training someone that is educated in allowing you to return to your sport or return to what you believe your daily living goals are.
0: You know, like why are we doing this surgery? If that promises a return to sport, if we're not allowing them to actually try to return to sport, we're just like taking the joy and the love and the passion out of this kid's life. I mean, I, I think I could say that across the board, you know, if you're if you're just like, well, you're gonna have this surgery just so you can fix your old ACL, but you're never really gonna use it again. Like, what's
1: the point? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's just this mentality of, well, if we do this surgery well enough, uh, hopefully it won't re tear, and Oof. just statistics and science does not <laughs> back that up, um, and. And all these studies are, are fairly new. I mean, within the last you know five to ten years, things have really, really kind of shown us what we need to see. And practice has not met up with it, met up with it yet. Um, and so that's why we're here. Yeah. Because I just feel like it's such a blaring gap. It's just
0: ironic that, like, insurance doesn't want to pay for return to sport, but they're, they're going to pay for the retail. You know, like, what are you going to pay? Either way, what would you rather pay for? Yeah. So on a more positive note, what makes really
1: high-quality ACL care? Uh, being able to load athletes early on, um, you know, you sort of miss this vital period for, uh, you know, adaptation if you don't do that early on. So I think that's one of the biggest things. Um, I think individualized one-on-one care is is vital too because you really have to focus on that particular athlete and preparing them for the movements that they are going to need to do to get back to the sport that they want to do. Um, and I think just a, a um, coordinated a coordination with the care team. So, because this person, this is such a long process, and this is very multifactorial. There's their physician. There's their athletic trainer at the school or the team. There's their parent, because again, these are young people. Um, you know, as well as if if they're also working with in in network PT or then it is just good to have everyone on the same page. So I think that that's really vital to, to making sure um, that you're starting out the, the plan correctly. Um, and then just making sure that you're able to incorporate plyometrics and jump training, landing properly, and just having a, a big enough facility for you to be able to do that um, is just really vital, especially in the later later stages of rehab.
0: Yeah, like if your if your rehab facility doesn't look anything like your sport, or doesn't look like you could play a sport in it.
1: Yeah, I mean if if your biggest weight at your mm-hmm. clinic is you know a ten pound pink <laughs> dumbbell. I'm like, why are they always pink? They're always <laughs> pink, and I love the color pink. But like, make the forties pink. You yeah, know? that's true. That's true. And if you don't have, you know, somewhere where you can run and stop, decelerate, change direction, then what are you doing? And if that has to happen in the parking lot, then so be it. <laughs> but, I mean, hey, yeah, use your resources. Use sure. what you've got. But, um, you know, I think it's vital that you have the space, the time, and the understanding of, uh, of. of objective testing measures and that's one of the biggest things is a lot of times just because you're in a traditional setting or in network PT and you don't you don't have the space that doesn't mean you can get by without properly testing and loading those athletes so um, not only are there those healing principles that we talked about that have to do with the graft and revascularization there's also objective criteria that you have to meet to move on and that is what is so vital in reducing those retail rates.
0: So like traditionally a lot of the the moving on is based off like timeline, right?
1: Yeah, so it used to be just to make it simple, they would do everything based on time. And they thought that, again, that had a lot to do with graft healing and, and that it wasn't really about what the athlete was ready for strength-wise, power development-wise, um, and you know getting the, the muscle size back. Um, but now we know that all of these factors contribute to re-tear rates and poor outcomes um, because a lot of times, they may not re-tear, but they also may not go back to their sport because they don't feel ready. Mm-hmm. So that's a failure in my mind. Um, if you're not going back to your sport because you don't feel like you're ready, then somewhere in the system, it's we failed you. Um, if you wanted to go back, um, so you know where we are now and where we should be going is criteria-based return to sport and and moving on throughout therapy. So our phases are also. In order for you to go back to jogging, it's not just okay at 12 weeks you can try mm-hmm. jogging and see how it goes. It's okay we're gonna get you past the 12 week mark, but let's also test your strength, test your single leg stability, and some of your power development, and make sure you can do a single leg, mm-hmm. a single leg hop, and a bound because you need those in order to run. Running is just. little single leg squats (laughs) and and jumping you know so if you can't do the motion and you haven't repaired the motion how are you expecting to not Mm -hmm. fail um so you know and every step of the way we have you know have um not only timelines but these criteria for moving on to little steps towards return to sport
0: it's like you have an athlete right now who's beyond 12 weeks pretty like elite in terms of what she was doing before and she's still not running
1: yeah i mean when i just don't see the value in sending someone back to running before they're ready even if she really could like if she absolutely wanted to jog um i think she would probably pass um her criteria but we took a step back and looked at this is why individualized care is so important because we took a step back at what is really important to her and it's not all that important that we get her back to jogging as soon as she possibly can it's her long-term goals are more important so you kind of have to factor everything in but yeah i mean her single leg hop is not is not fully there yet so we're going to wait and we're going to phase it back in slowly over the next several weeks and I think she's going to be much more successful than if mm-hmm. at 12 weeks she just decided to jog. Um, you know, because it would probably piss, piss off her knee and cause swelling. And then we'd be taking a step back for no reason.
0: Yeah. Like what's... Like you said, like you would, you would maybe pass. But like why pass when you can excel? Mm-hmm. And, you know, 12 weeks versus 16 weeks, they might... It might seem like not that big of a time to like make a change. But with this population, like if they're doing the right things, they can make a really big like really big progress, especially if they're doing things outside of what they're doing with you, right? If it's this like over overarching theme of you kind of being the quarterback and
1: they're they have homework
0: too. Yes. Yeah.
1: I mean and this athlete in particular is putting in the work to do what she wants to do ultimately. And I think she's going to be very, very successful because she does have, you know, she does have that plan. We have an individualized plan. We have criteria we're going to meet and we know what her goals are. And so, and she's putting in the work. So all those things together, is just going to make her successful. Um, and we're not getting greedy.
0: Yeah. We're not like, Oh, well we can do it because it's 12 weeks. Like, who came up with 12 weeks, you know? It's just some arbitrary average, but in this world where everything should be and can be very individualized, we don't need to go off averages here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, we're basing everything, these, these timelines were, I think, solely based on internal healing of, mm. of what we did, what we put in there. But we also weren't taking into account all the detraining that's happening, all the neuromuscular control that was lost because we had a surgery bigger picture. You know, we're looking at the whole body and not just inside one joint.
0: (laughs) Sounds like that's a a
1: good thing to be doing. What has, like, really surprised
0: you in, you know, learning, really diving deep into ACL, like, the ACL world and specializing in becoming the expert. Like, is there anything in the past few months that you feel like you learned or like changed your thoughts about <laughs>
1: where, where to start, <laughs> where to start? I think I had to reassess about everything I knew about ACL tears and recovery. Um, it's, it's just been really eye-opening where I thought there were small discrepancies and small gaps in care. They, they're they just huge. Um, and, you know, over and over again, we're seeing... We're, we're hearing all these kind of horror stories of athletes that tore their ACL, were pushed into doing surgery really early on when they maybe wouldn't have had surgery to begin with and well before their knee was ready to have surgery. And, um, you know, then they're having subpar rehab and then they're being returned to sport too soon and then they have a retear. And then they start all over again in the same process. And so it's just, you know, I was under the impression of, yeah, this is sort of a this is sort of a cookie cutter process for everybody and it's really not you know you can't there are options to to go non-operative um and there are a lot more options out there for uh, recovery and timing of your surgery and timing of return to sport than I really realized
0: I think I have learned that it's it's way more, exactly what you said, it's way more individualized, it's way more goal-based than I think, you know, when you see it on social media, you, you see ACL care in media with football players, like, you don't really know what all is going on behind the scenes, you just kind of see a few sexy exercises, but, like, the, think of, like, the, the patients that we've had so far, like, the different decisions that we've had to make that like you have had to help them navigate because all of their goals are so different and where they're at and their timelines. And, you know, there was a, a non-operative, there was a operative, but did traditional rehab for a really long time and now he's far behind. Like it's very much like, it's so obvious why we can't use these timelines and these cookie cutter goals because it just depends on like not even just their like physical goals, but their like life in general. Like where are you at with finances? How much time can you commit to this right now? What do you want to be able to get back to? How are your goals changing? Like it's just such a bigger conversation than oh, you tear your ACL, you kinda of go into this assembly line of fix this, have surgery, fix that, you're back, like churning and burning when I think, um, I think we've learned that it's so much more based on the person.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it is sort of like taking a magnifying glass to the whole institution of, (laughs) of, of injury prevention, uh, orthopedic surgery, return to sport, because it's just, it's such a, like, it's such a large injury and it's such a long process and it's such a, um, uh, it's in your face. We see these ACL tears in, in these high level athletes. Everyone knows what an ACL tear is, but, and we see all the problems that, that arise from them. And I think it just highlights, um, issues that happen on a number of levels with, um, people that have to dedicate, you know, a certain amount of time to their, their therapy to get better, and if they don't, they don't really get better, uh, you know, it just, there's a lot of parallels in all other avenues of, of rehab and injury prevention and, and, re- mm-hmm. and treatment.
0: It sounds cheesy, but it, it just sounds like we've been focusing on the ACL tear, not the person with the ACL tear. Yeah. Like, it, I mean, it's, it's such a hot topic in school, too. Like, everyone wants to work with, with people that have had ACL tears. Cause it's just so talked about and it, it just seems so like this is what you do for this this is what you do for this this is why you do this and then you get into it and you're like oh
1: wow this is a lot more gray than originally planned you know yeah I there's so much research out there and oh, there's yeah. so many people that are involved and it just is crazy that things are not better than they are
0: yeah I think a lot of what you said earlier like we're kind of trying to solve the problem after it's happened and yeah like we can definitely make the aftercare really really you know, more robust than it is but I think um, being someone who is, like is passionate about ACLs like you have to also focus on like what leads this person to potentially have an ACL injury and what are we doing to not, I mean, yeah, we could talk about injury prevention and semantics, but there are a lot of things that we can do to decrease the risk of ACL tear injury, and also decrease the the detriment if this person does have an ACL tear. Like, you know, a couple of the patients you're working with right now, like the difference between them because of their athletic background and what they were doing before. If you, if the first time you're teaching someone how to squat is after an ACL tear, like. You're already in a deficit. Yeah,
1: we're missing the boat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, there's a lot of things we could be doing better there. So now it's you figured out the problem. You figured out that there was a problem. How are we fixing
1: the problem? I'm like, what is what is your solution to the problem? So my solution is the ACL Performance Lab, and uh, you know we want to focus on injury prevention by getting, especially young girls, lifting weights, getting stronger, and ultimately reducing the risk of these injuries happening in the first place. And then for those that do have an ACL tear, being a resource to them to let them know what their options are, whether it's a type of graft, if they've chosen to have surgery, or discussing whether or not They should have surgery in the first place. Uh, What do they want to get back to? And then, uh, you know, meeting those preoperative goals because it's really important, you know, for example, to have full range of motion, especially full extension before surgery. And sometimes that's just skipped for the sake of Mm -hmm. time and and rushing the process. And so sometimes it's good to have those conversations before you've picked a surgeon, Um, like we talked about, each surgeon has what they do best and maybe you should find the surgeon that's doing what you what does best what you want um and then working with these athletes post-operatively and then just after an injury getting meeting those milestones criteria-based progression phasing through properly when they're ready And then ultimately returning them to sport, um, hopefully stronger, faster, and more resilient than they were before.
0: How can our listeners and followers find
1: you or contact you to get started? Um, well, you can find us on Instagram at made2move underscore ACL. The two Um, is the number two. The two (laughs) is the number two. Um, and then you can reach out to us through our website at made 2 movept.com um, and fill out a contact information and, and we can kind of talk about what might be best for, for you. Awesome. Thank you very
0: much. I feel like I just learned a lot about ACLs. And it, uh it's sad because like it is such a like kind of a heavy topic, like but it is a devastating injury. And there's yeah. just a lot
1: of problems that need to be solved. Thanks for having me. I mean I hope to, I hope to be able to impact a lot of the ACLers in, in Charleston. Awesome.
0: Everyone, thank you for listening. Thank you so much for joining us everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Head on over to Instagram. find us at Healthy Charleston. Leave us a review on iTunes. If you ever have any topics you want us to talk about or guests you want to bring on, feel free to DM us. Otherwise, thanks again.